We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. In 2019, Charles Stanley spoke in chapel at Dallas Seminary, and he said he wanted to share with us one guiding principle that he has applied all his life. Now, this is a man born in 1932, and his ministry is In Touch Ministries. You may have heard of it. It airs over 1,500 radio programs globally on over 1,000 television stations in 130 countries and is translated in over 120 languages. And he's here telling us in chapel that he wants to share the most important principle that he has used and that he believes God has blessed throughout his entire life. And I'm just sitting there thinking, man, like, I don't know what it takes just to be a faithful pastor. And uh, he has this, uh, he, he has us turn our Bibles to Proverbs, and Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, which probably very familiar for many of us. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, I'll acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And then he told us a story. He said, my grandfather told me as a child, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Charlie. If God tells you to run headfirst toward that brick wall, you get up and start running towards that wall. Don't worry about the wall. God will make a hole when you get there. Then he looked at us in chapel and he said, obey God and leave the consequences to him. And he proceeded to tell a number of stories about how people told him that he would never make it in ministry. He would never make it in the Baptist denomination. He would never um, become the SBC president unless he compromised in this area. He told stories of how men of great power and privilege said that they would personally seek to destroy his reputation, his ministry, and his livelihood. And then he even recalled times of personal temptation where it looked like all would be lost if he didn't compromise. But in the end, God always made a way. God always provided a hole in that wall. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you just trust God, you can leave all the consequences to him? Do you believe that you, if you just obey God's word, seek to live faithfully, apply God's word to your life, that you can just trust him with whatever happens? Do you believe that? Well, today we are going to see a very similar principle that can guide us all the days of our lives. So if you would please open your Bibles, Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11, and we're gonna be looking at verses one through eight. <clears throat> and again, by way of recap, the book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father to a son. And we, the church, the people of God, are to adopt or take the position of the son. And the purpose of Proverbs is to, uh, it's twofold. For making the simple wise and making those who are already wise grow in wisdom. And the key to unlock the divine wisdom, hence the key from last week, the key to unlock divine wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the motto of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is to recognize God's authority over your life, that you are not your own. 
You've been bought with the price. You do not belong to yourselves. You belong to God. And to submit to his will, which is a good thing, and to his agenda, that God has a purpose for human history and as co-heirs with Christ, adopted into his sonship, that we are taking part in God's cosmic plan in human history. And so we, as the people of God, need to adopt a very high calling of being a Christian. We need to adopt a very biblical perspective of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We could just call it Christianity. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning being the starting point or the launch pad from which one begins the journey of becoming a sage. For the beginning point from which we start out on the journey of growing in divine wisdom, but it also is the foundation for wisdom. It is the continual place upon which wisdom is built. Throughout our lifetime, this is the foundation from which we build divine wisdom, the fear of the Lord, recognizing his authority, submitting to his will and agenda. And if you recall in chapters one through nine, the first section of the book, there are two competing voices there are two voices calling out to the son for his attention. There's Lady Wisdom and there's Lady Folly. Both are attractive. Both are seductive. Both are calling for him to come and to dine and partake and to be intimate with. But one, Lady Wisdom, is God's wisdom and leads to life. The other is Lady Folly. It's worldly wisdom and leads to death. And there are two types of people in the book of Proverbs. Everyone that's described positively, every positive characteristic is a person who fears the Lord in the book of Proverbs. So whenever we see the righteous, the upright, the godly, every positive person mentioned in the book of Proverbs, it refers to the person who fears the Lord. Every negative person that you see in the book of Proverbs, the crooked, the wicked, etc., are those who despise wisdom and understanding. They reject the authority of God in their lives. So, verse 1 of chapter 11 is contrasting parallelism. Most Hebrew poetry is in parallelism, so it's a line and a line. And this is contrasting parallelism. Verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so the phrase a false balance literally means scales of deceit. And so at the marketplace, we still do this today. We buy things according to their weight. And so a scale of deceit would be me if I was selling you figs and you wanted to buy a pound of figs, I would pull out a weight that was labeled one pound and I would use that as a counterbalance, but that weight labeled one pound would actually be a little bit lighter than a pound. And so you would pay me for one pound, but actually receive less than a pound. And if I was buying, I would switch my stones. And if I was buying a pound of figs, I would pull out my stone that was labeled one pound, but actually was a little bit more, maybe a pound and a quarter. And I'd use my stone, pay for a pound of figs, and get a little bit more. And we are told that this false balance, this scale of deceit is an abomination to the Lord, that God hates cheating to the utmost. It's, and this primarily has to do with dishonesty in business and commerce. But a just weight is his delight. Have you ever met somebody named Evan? Anyone in here know somebody named Evan? 
The Hebrew word is even, and it means stone. And that phrase, just weight, means perfect stone. A perfect stone that is labeled one pound and that is one pound is a delight to God. He smiles upon it. He smiles upon your honesty. And honesty is kind of what will overshadow the rest of the verses that we see today. It is our guiding principle. Years ago, there was a baker that would exchange a pound loaf of bread with a dairy farmer for a pound of butter. And the baker began to notice that this pound of butter he was getting from the the dairy farmer was getting cut short in weight. Week after week, this went on until the farmer could stand it no longer, and he, ta- he took the, or the baker could stand it no longer, and he took the farmer to court, and he explained to the judge how this is a dishonor to the industry and to this great enterprise and trade of farming and baking and how they've worked together for centuries, and the judge couldn't believe it either, and so the judge called the farmer to the stand and said, is this true? And the dairy farmer said, well, honestly, I don't know. He says, what do you mean you don't know? And he said, I've been using the baker's pound loaf to weigh out the butter. (laughs) Why does God hate cheating? Here's why God hates cheating. Because it outwardly defrauds your neighbor, whom in Christ you were called to love, and it inwardly defrauds God the authority and rule of, your, of him over your life. You now become the arbiter of right and wrong. And God says that is an abomination and he hates it. But guess what? He smiles upon your honesty. It delights him. Verse two, we see contrasting parallelism again. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Notice the first word, when. This makes it a temporal statement. It is in relation to time. When. When pride comes, bava is the Hebrew word. It means to enter in. When pride enters into the picture of your life, notice the logical sequence that follows. Then comes dishonor. And it's the same verb, enters in. Now question for you, what is the opposite of dishonor? Honor, just remove the prefix. Dishonor is the word cologne. And it means more than just shame. It carries another nuance that we'll get to here in just a second. Let's look at the positive element, honor. Honor comes from the word kavod, and it means glory. It means heaviness. It means weightiness. Proud people think too highly of themselves in their mind. And the ironic result is that they are dishonored made light. And so both false weights and proud people claim to be heavier than what they actually are because they lack an honest calculation of themselves. Now, in contrast to the proud, notice what is associated with the humble. It is wisdom. Humble people don't over-evaluate themselves and they don't under-evaluate themselves, but they recognize their position under the authority of God, that I am a beloved child of God, privileged to take part in his cosmic agenda. But I'm also dust and contingent on God for the very air that I breathe. Every breath that I breathe, I borrow from God. 
that at this very moment, the laws of physics that keep this globe and this planet and this universe intact are presently being held together by the will of God. We are contingent on him in all things. And so a wise person, what follows wisdom is humility, and a humble person allows themselves to hear godly criticism according to the scripture that then enables them to adjust their behavior that results not in dishonor, not lightness, but in honor, but in glory. And so in the kingdom of God, the high are made low and the low are made high. And it's interesting because the scales switch. Furthermore, the term humble actually, one definition of it is level-headed, like a scale. It's level. Humility is having an honest head about yourself. The verb form of the word pride, just stick with me here. The verb form of the word pride is used to describe a pot of boiling water. And this water boils over the pot spilling out, that the water exceeds its own limitation and becomes empty. And so we're being told to have honest heads and to be honest heads, not potheads. Verse three, (laughs) the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Again, we see contrasting parallelism. The contrast is between the character traits of two different kinds of people. Notice it is their crookedness or dishonesty that leads to their own destruction in verse three. The word crooked in Hebrew is related to the, to the verb that means to overturn or to turn in or to twist in. And in the English, we translate it crooked from the Old Norse for the word hook. What do you call somebody who doesn't deal straightly but who takes things that don't belong to them? A crook. And so, in contrast to the crook, there, are, there is the integrity of the upright. This is the honest person. The integrity of the upright will guide them. The integrity, or the word integrity, carries the idea of transparency, of honesty, like a just weight, like a straight line. And a person could be transparent because what they have wasn't gained by crookedness. So the integrity of the upright will guide them. Now that verb, will guide, not trying to get fancy here, but that verb is in the hyphil stem, which suggests cause and effect. And so the integrity of the upright will cause guidance for them. We see this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Again, we see the shepherd-sheep metaphor. One in authority, one submitted under another. And in verse three, we see that he will guide me down the paths of righteousness. Now, we recognize the metaphor of the sheep-shepherd language and a, a valid translation that keeps with the metaphor and is syntactically just as correct could be, and he will guide me down the right paths. That the integrity of the upright will guide you down the right paths in life. It's called godly success. Whenever you... Seek to live a life of integrity under the fear of the Lord. God will guide your life to godly success. Amen? A former Secretary of State who just recently passed away said, good leaders 
need to be like compasses, not clocks. A clock, every time you look at it, look up at it, it's in a different position. The hands are moving, and so it's constantly moving like a fickle and feckless leader, whereas a good leader needs to be like a compass, always pointed north, always pointed in the same direction. Honesty is a compass that will guide us all the days of our life. It will guide us in the direction that will lead us to godly success forever. It is a guiding principle that we can apply all the days of our lives, that we can trust God and leave the consequences to him. Verse four, we have again another contrasting parallelism. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And so day of wrath could be speaking eschatologically, you know, end times, or it simply could be referring to some kind of divine punishment or justice here in this life. We'll consider both, but first, the sage, as we see in the Proverbs, has nothing, to do, nothing against riches. Often we're told of the benefit of having wealth. The riches here likely refers to wealth begotten dishonestly. Contextually, that seems to be what's going on. And so, if you had to make the choice between gaining great wealth and riches by being just slightly crooked, just bending the rules a little bit, or choosing righteousness, which should you choose? Always righteousness. First, no one can buy off divine judgment in this life or the next. And so, you know, fortunately for us, we've been bought with a price that we have been bought with the precious blood of the lamb. He is the only one who has purchased us and abstained us from the from the wrath of God. So if we're talking about eschatologically, then yes, we have been purchased by Christ. We have been bought off in a sense. But what I think this proverb is really getting at is, uh, is the principle of that living a righteous life, those who seek to live under the authority of God, those who seek to live honestly, those who fear the Lord tend to evade or to escape certain difficulties while the wicked seem to invite certain difficulties into their life. And I, th I think that's what verse four is primarily speaking about. Verse five, the righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Again, this is contrasting parallelism. Notice how the wicked cause their own downfall. There are three things that'll bring a person down in life. You have Satan, you have the brokenness of the world, that even creation's broken and that people are broken. And then you have your own personal sin. And the wicked, they seek their own way. We are told that there are two ways in the book of Proverbs. There's the way of the Lord, lady wisdom, and then there's lady folly. The wicked seek their own way. They do not fear the Lord. And eventually, they will fall like a runner who ties his right shoelace to his left, whether it's a 100-yard dash or a marathon, eventually they will fall by their own wickedness. However, the behavior of the blameless will smooth his way. The righteous behavior of the blameless will make life easier. Again, not trying to sound fancy here, but this is in, the, in Hebrew, the PL stem, which means that it has to do with result. The result of a righteous of righteous behavior 
is the removal of self-created stumbling blocks. And we see this in Proverbs 3, verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will clear cut a path for you. This is the result of a certain behavior and lifestyle living under the fear of the Lord. We all love obstacle courses. Uh, obstacle courses are great for training, for competition, for uh, team building, but nobody wants to invite an obstacle in their life to prevent them from obtaining their objective. We are gonna have enough obstacles in life with our own, dealing with our own personal sin, dealing with Satan, dealing with a broken world. And so in order to remove those self-created obstacles, there's a certain type of behavior that this proverb is calling us and motivating us to live toward. And that is righteousness, blamelessness. Now this isn't the type of righteousness that is imputed to us from our relationship with Christ. This is the righteousness from a, the fear of the Lord, that I understand that I am not my own. I live under the authority of God, and I seek to submit my life to him. And all of this, of course, is predicated on a relationship with God through Christ. But when you think righteousness, don't think of the imputation of righteousness. Think of a behavior of righteousness that comes through fearing the Lord. Verse 6, again, we have contrasting parallelism. Verse six, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. And so the contrast here is between being rescued and being trapped. Tom uses this illustration all the time. You remember Marley's ghost in uh, A Christmas Carol by Dickens? He appears in chains to Scrooge and he's dragging these chains. And what are those chains attached to? They're attached to money boxes that he, he has become enslaved by his unrestrained greed and his own greed haunts him in the afterlife and haunts Scrooge in the present. And so the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. It, it, they are enslaved by greediness, whereas the righteousness of the upright will deliver them. Living uprightly, Christian, is liberating because you don't have to worry about the landmines you forgot about. The upright are liberated. They are set free to live in a certain way because they can rest and trust in God and not jockey for position, not strive with others, not seek to coerce people in order to get what they want. That is the trap of greed. And so you can rest in honesty and leave all the consequences to God in your life. You don't need to strive to get ahead. You can rest in God. Verse seven, now the contrasting parallel, parallelism stops here and we get something called synonymous parallelism. It's where it's the same thing stated twice, but in a different way. Verse seven, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. And the hope of a strong man perishes. Notice when, not if. And so the proverb is speaking of the hope of the wicked. 
Hope is the expectation of a good thing. The hope here is the expectation or the desire of the wicked. Remember, the wicked are always those who do not fear the Lord, those who do not recognize God's authority over their lives, those who say, I do not want to submit to your will, and I don't want to take part in your kingdom agenda. And the problem with that is, whether you like it or not, that is the direction of history. (laughs) It's all going in this one direction, and God has privileged us to take part in that. But don't miss this, this is, in verse seven, this is what the, the sage is telling us. He's, he's saying that the, the wicked place their hope parallel with the continuation of temporal power, strength, and influence. And that that dies with them. Hope in mortals dies with mortals. And so do their promises. And so this is a warning to the people of God against misplaced hope in things of power, institutions of power, strong men. So an example of this, uh, you may not like me for saying it, but an example of this is when we treat politics like religion and religion like politics. When we do this, we are imposing a religious and eternal perspective on temporal and earthly affairs. Now, the two are not divorced, don't get me wrong, but we can get them switched, all right? Our hope is, must influence and dictate everything else, and those who fear the Lord hope in his agenda. They hope in his will. They hope in God, and that overflows and influences everything else in life. And so the proverb is warning against misplaced hope. And the next proverb provides great insight into properly placed hope. And we're gonna finish early today. That's Kendall's warning. Uh, Verse eight is a contrasting parallelism. Verse eight, we've gone back to, to contrasting parallelism and we see that it is the righteous. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. So I'm glad we end on this very optimistic proverb. The word trouble carries the idea of being restricted. It carries the notion of being caught in a narrow place where you're feeling surrounded, where you're pushed to the edge of the cliff and you're just overall have an overwhelming sense of anxiety from the wicked. In other words, the implication is it looks like the wicked are going to win. It looks like the wicked are going to succeed. I am in this tight spot and I have been pushed to the edge of my limit. But look what happens in the end. The righteous and the wicked are swapped. And so this requires you growing and aspiring sages, those who seek to apply divine wisdom, who seek to fear the Lord. This requires us to have a certain level of wisdom, a robust biblical perspective of divine justice now and in the afterlife because this we may not see this in our lifetime but it will be carried out in eternity and so it requires us to adopt this kind of biblical christian perspective the true justice and i i use true justice i kind of qualify that because that is a little bit of a catchphrase these days true justice or biblical justice we see now is only a preclude to the divine justice to come, that the righteous win. 
And so this proverb is calling us to keep in mind that our present perspective of things can be obscured by the real nature of what God is doing behind the scenes. It may look like the wicked are about to win, and you may be in a very precarious situation. But don't you worry. There's a big switch coming. And we've got plenty of examples of this in the Bible. In the book of Esther, you have the wicked Haman. He's the vice president. And he goes to the president, and he does not like this man named Mordecai who is obedient to God and refuses to bow the knee and to worship Haman. And so Haman creates this elaborate plan from the top up. He builds this giant platform by which he's going to make a display of the hanging of Mordecai. And the wicked plan of Haman to hang Mordecai, guess what? It comes back upon him. He's hung by his own noose in the end. That is an encouragement. (laughs) We also see in the book of Daniel, Daniel refuses. He, He adopts the culture of his day. He dresses like the culture of his day. He learns the language of his day, but he refuses to become an idolater. He refuses to disobey God and to worship other gods. And so there are people at Daniel's level, at the highest level of the court, in the corporate office, who seek to trap Daniel and create a law that will force him to publicly display his faith. And there was a law put into place that says, if you display your faith and not this faith, we're gonna kill you. And so Daniel's accusers set him up and trap him. We just saw a verse about one person being rescued while the other person being trapped and being rescued from the trap. Well, Daniel's accusers have him cast into a lion's den. But guess what? The accusers were cast into the den of lions from which Daniel himself was saved. There's a switch. Church, it always looks like the wicked are going to win. It always looks that way. But they won't. They can't. It's impossible. And whenever the church acts like the church and takes the role of the body of Christ, the hands and feet, the very body of God's son here on earth, we will begin to realize that we are taking part in something that is so bigger and so grander than any type of anything you can imagine as the people of God. That God is... I always say this, and it's because I, I just want everybody to get it so badly, that God is doing something in history, that he has a plan. And it, because we are involved with God and he is involved with us, he has co-opted us into this plan, that we are mysteriously united to Christ. And so in that unification, what God is doing through Christ, he does through his church. You can't separate the head from the body. And so God's got a plan for us, church, and we need to adopt this mindset that we are to be used as Christ would have done here on earth. And this is the direction of all human history. We're told all things are being summed up in Christ and that all things are put under his feet. Guess what? Feet are part of the body. 
Who is the body? The church. And so we have this high calling. We have this wonderful privilege to take part in something. We all want to, the only reason we join clubs, forget the we're going to quit early part. Just, <laughs> the only reason we join clubs and become part of things is because we all want to be, we all want to take part in something that's bigger than us, that's greater than us. There is nothing greater than what God is doing in human history. And he's primarily accomplishing it through you. You have to understand this. That God is accomplishing his purposes through the body of his son. We are the hands and feet. We have a grand purpose and a grand destiny. That just gets me excited. May not get you excited. It gets me excited. Well, take heart that when the wicked look like they're prevailing, they're not. That in verse 8, the righteous is delivered from, the tru- from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. That part of God's plan sometimes is to test us. Will you be honest and leave the consequences to God? When you're pushed to the edge of the cliff, when you're feeling anxious because you are surrounded by the wicked, when you're feeling hard pressed and it looks like you're going to lose and the only way out is if you compromise, what are you gonna do? Well, I know what the Bible says for us to do. And so we are told in scripture that the people of God who fear him, we live under his authority. And all things are happening according to his will. And that we can submit to his will as opposed to following Lady Folly and we can take part in his agenda. And so Christian, I plead with you, stay honest in everything and leave the consequences to God. This is what we call Christ-like honesty. And Christ-like honesty only comes from a proper relationship predicated on a relationship with God through Christ. And this is attained by gaining wisdom through fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord is recognizing God's authority over your life submitting to his will and his agenda. And fearing the Lord is the foundation, the beginning point that teaches us this type of wisdom that can allow us to be honest in every situation. It is Christ-like honesty and trust in God. This type of honesty is an attribute of Christ. If these scriptures were to be perfectly lived out, only one person could do it, and it is Christ. If verses one through eight were to be perfectly lived out in a lifetime, it would be done by Christ. And so what we're seeing here is a facet of Christ-like honesty. And scripture tells us that we are being transformed into the image of his son. Did you know that? You are called to grow. (laughs) You are called to become more like Christ. And so this is one way that we do it, is by seeking Christ-like honesty. So be honest and leave the consequences to him. Have honest scales, do honest business. God delights in that. He's gonna smile upon that. 
Have an honest head. It will bring honor. It will bring glory, not shame. Honesty will guide you. Honesty will deliver you. Honesty will clear a path for godly success. Honesty will rescue, rescue you from the traps set against you by the enemy. Honesty will provide a proper perspective for placing your hope. And the honest will see ultimate justice displayed on their behalf. So be honest and leave the consequences to God by the application of his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, that you have given us revelation, insight into divine wisdom that comes to one kind of person, those who fear the Lord, and how that is a good thing, that we were designed to walk and be in relationship with you, and that we find our greatest satisfaction in being in that place, and that we are not fulfilling our calling and our destiny when we seek to follow a different path. And so I pray as we seek to bring every arena of our life under you to walk in the fear of the Lord and to grow in divine wisdom that we can have the mind of Christ and divine wisdom can be part of our life, that it is eternal and that you protect us and we can leave the consequences to you Thank you, God. We praise you. We glorify your name. And so I pray as we, we sing these last songs that you would elevate this message in our hearts to be honest and to leave all the consequences to you. It is in Christ's name we pray and in, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit we ask. Amen.